All right, if you have a Bible, James chapter 4. James 4 is our text this morning. We're continuing in our series on family ties. But before we get to that, while you're turning there, I have some wonderful, fantastic news to be able to share with you this morning. Uh, some of you will remember, uh, I think it was back in March, that we challenged you with the Raise the Roof campaign. And not only did we meet that goal, we surpassed that goal and just were amazed at the faithfulness and generosity that, uh, that this church uh, showed to that. Well, you remember when, when we talked about that, I mentioned there was a longer goal that, uh, that Berean has had for some time, and that's ultimately to get out of debt. And we, we had hoped that the Raise the Roof uh, campaign would not um, uh, cost us too much. Uh, on putting the other goal of being out of debt uh, off. Well, wonderful news. As of this week, Berean Baptist Church is debt-free. Love it. Love it. Praise God. Praise, praise God. Now, if you're here and that type of stuff doesn't excite you, it should. Because... Um, the Bible teaches that the borrower is slave to the lender, and just take a deep breath. We as a faith family are free. We're free. And um, that's a great freedom to be able to have as a congregation in perfect timing. We, we start, one of the things we'll talk about tonight, uh, among many things, uh, will be where we're going uh, for the next budget year. And this freedom allows us to dream and have vision towards other things uh, that, uh, that we're excited about. So I do hope you'll be here tonight. A little plug uh, for that 5 o'clock eat, 6 o'clock service. It'll be a, just a great time. If you like to celebrate, and if this morning has just been an, a taste of excitement for you, come back tonight and we will feast on all the great things that God is doing. So Family Ties series, James 4. Let, let's get caught up to speed before we dive into the text. A few weeks ago, we challenged you from Psalm 78, and we talked about the domino effect that your life is going to leave behind. You will leave a legacy. The question is, will it be a good one? Will it be a godly one? And in Psalm 78, the psalmist says, give ear to what I'm about to say. God has established a testimony in Jacob. And then he talks about investing that in the next generation for generations that you can't even see. And so we challenge you with the spiritual domino effect that you'll have in your families. And then um, last week, we looked at the fact that sometimes you wake up one day and realize that you've been aiming at the wrong thing in life, that you've missed what's most important. And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 that the most important thing in your life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to have that spill over into your family. That's what's most important. If you don't get anything else, get that. But if you're like me, when, when you see the challenge of Psalm 78 and the challenge of Deuteronomy 6, you're left feeling like, man, I, I just don't get that right all the time. I struggle with living this kind of a life with my family. And so this morning we look at James 4, which tells us why that's the case. So if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. And let's look here at James 4, and we'll look down through uh, the first 10 verses. The Bible says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's of no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? But He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Would you pray with me? Father, we do ask now that you would um, open our eyes to see the truth. Not only the truth of your word, but the truth of our heart. The truth of our family. Unveil the mask and help us see clearly what the real issues are. That we might be more glorifying to you and how we relate to others. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. So, how about you, Vi? How was school? You hardly touched your food. I'm not hungry for meatloaf. Well, it is leftover night. We have steak, pasta. What are you hungry for? Tony Ranger. Shut up. Well, you are. I said shut up, you little insect. Oh, she is. Do not shout at the table. Honey? Kids, listen to your mother. <laughs> That's it! Hey, hey. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I bet a lot of you here this morning can relate to that kind of a scene. Kids that are arguing and fighting and aggravating one another. Mom who is stretched more than is humanly possible. Any moms relate to that? She's frustrated because dad won't engage and she's frustrated because the kids keep arguing. Dad seems disinterested. But he's always willing to kind of swoop right in and, and offer discipline. And the family is in conflict. The, the family is fighting back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. And everybody acts normal. You know, it's the hide the beer, the pastor's here, you know, kind of response. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we got to act like everything's okay. We're the good family. 
you know? And the truth is that, that we, we laugh at this, we relate to this so well because I don't care how good of a family you may be from, the truth is one consistency that we all deal with in family is conflict. You ever had to put the gloves on? You ever fought? You ever had conflict in your home? And that was just this morning, right? But it's true. In fact, I bet some of you this morning are dealing with conflict in your family right now. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I think we hit a nerve. <laughs> but you know, some of you, you haven't spoken to family members in a long time. For some of you, your marriage is on the rocks. For some of you, there's distance between you and your children. For some of you, there's distance between you and your parents. And you say things like, I can't wait to get out of this house. I can't wait to get out of this town. I can't wait. And you, you rage and you fight and you war. Why? Why? I mean, after all, we're talking about family. These are the people we say we love the most. This is your wife, your husband, your, your kids, your brother, your sister, your parents. Aren't we supposed to love each other the most? I mean, I remember my brother. He's six and a half years older than me. I remember he hit me on the back of the legs with a pool stick. Yeah, he said something like I wouldn't leave him and his girlfriend alone or something like that. <laughs> I don't remember all the details. I remember one time he shot me in the back of the head with a BB gun, which I know you're like, that explains so much. Wow. But you know, you're like, there's so many things we do in our family that we just think, why? These are the people that I love dearly. And not only that, most of you in the room would say that you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So why isn't there more peace in our home? James 4 answers that question. Because he's writing to a congregation that's been fighting. It's a faith family that's at odds. There's conflict that's creeped into this family. Uh, in fact, earlier in the book, uh, James has to address that the wealthy and the poor are at odds. In fact, the wealthy are saying, hey, come here. Why don't you have this seat at the table? We'll give you the best seat in the church service. And there was war going on between social classes. In chapter 3, there's gossip taking place within the faith family. And he has to say, wait a minute. You've got to learn to control your tongue. You've got to learn to tame what you say. And he deals with all this conflict. And then in chapter 4, he gets to the heart of the issue. And notice that James appoints us here to the source of family conflict. Verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, you do not have because you do not ask. Listen, James says something that's absolutely shocking. 
And it's shocking because when you and I deal with conflict in our family, we almost always go external. It's what they did. It's what she said. It's the fact that our personalities are different. It's the fact that we're wired in a different way. It's that, well, we're not at the same season of life that they're in. And it's all this external, it's all this outside. And James says, you know, the problem's actually a lot simpler than that. The problem is you want something and you're not getting what you want, so you fight. It really is that simple. There's a desire, there's a passion in your heart, and it may be a good thing. It may be a good desire. It may be a godly passion, but there's something that you want that desire's not being met, so you lash out, you fight with others. James Dobson tells a story, you know, focus on the family, talks about, he shared a story about a husband and a wife that were fighting. They were at odds. Um, she was getting ready one morning for a job interview that day, and she asked her husband to help with the zipper on her dress, and he was kind of teasing around with her and, you know, zip, 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 and broke. And she was like furious <laughs> because she, had to, she didn't have a lot of time. She had to wear a dress she didn't like, didn't think she looked good in, wasn't pressed, and so she was like furious all day long. She comes home. She notices her husband underneath the car working on the car, and she's like, revenge. She reaches down, grabs his zipper on his pants, and goes zip, 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 as hard as she can, and then walks into the house. She walks into the kitchen and notices her husband sitting at the kitchen table. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She says, what are you doing here? He says, I live here. <laughs> she said, no, 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 you're supposed to be underneath the car. And he goes, that's the neighbor fixing my muffler. <laughs> they went down, poor guy. They went down to check on him to apologize. The guy had went straight up, hit his head <laughs> underneath the car. It was knocked cold out. <laughs> Now, now, we laugh at that, but you think we would be tempted in that situation to say, the problem is what my husband did to me that morning. That's not the problem. It's not the problem. Maybe part of the problem, but it's not the root problem. It's not the source of the problem. The problem is you have a desire for revenge, and you're going to get what you want. That's what James is teaching us here, that desire. And I thought about, thought about this. You know, as a parent, you know, my kids are at that age, seven, five, three, where they kind of disagree on occasion. And I thought, when I hear them upstairs fighting in their room or whatever, you know, and I go up there, it's typically not about ideas. You know, they're not like socialism versus capitalism and, you know, <laughs> pre-trib, no post-trib, you know, and, or did Adam and Eve have a belly button or whatever, you know? It's never about that. It's always, you have something I want. And so I fight. But here's the truth. As adults, we only become more sophisticated in covering that up. It's really not any different for us. 
you'd say, no, it's about ideas. Is it really about ideas or is it about winning the argument? Is the desire of your heart to win or get revenge or to control or we want obedience or we want fairness? I bet if you scraped back the layers far enough, what you discover is that the core of the conflict in your family is somebody's keeping you from what you want, even if it's a good thing. James says, if you want to assess the heart of the conflict, start with your heart. If you want to assess the conflict in your family, start with the heart of the problem, which is your heart. Now, that doesn't mean that other people are innocent. That doesn't give people a pass to act the way they act. We're not excusing or justifying anybody's behavior at all. What we are saying is that the root of how you respond or why you respond is your own heart. Let me, let me give you an illustration to show you what James is talking about here. Because some of you might push back and say, it's not me, it's them. That's the whole point, by the way. But even still, if you're unconvinced, imagine with me hypothetically that we lived in an area that had road construction. <laughs> Purely hypothetical, you know? And let's imagine you're driving in the morning and you're stuck in road construction and traffic and you got three people. One guy is, he's pounding on the dash because he's late. And his desire is to be there on time and so he rages out. The person behind him is a lady. She wants like two or three more minutes of a delay because she wants to finish putting her makeup on. Don't act like you don't do that when you drive. And then behind her is another guy who he would love for the delay to, to go even longer because he's got a doctor's appointment he'd love to have to reschedule. The context is the same. The situation is the same. What causes those three different responses, three different desires of the heart. You see, your family's not the problem. They might be the occasion of the problem, but the problem is much deeper than that. It is your own desires not being met. And look at me, Brian. If you don't get yourself in check, if I don't get myself in check, at least being aware of what my desires are, what are my expectations? What are the things that, that I'm not having met and that's why I have conflict? It's going to cause big time damage. Because notice what James says. He says, you desire, verse 2, and do not have, so you murder. There is no exegetical or historical context here that would say that they're physically killing one another. Or that, that would be taking conflict a little bit too far. That's not what James is talking about here. He's talking about relational death. You murder, you fight, you kill one another relationally. And the truth is that it may very well be that the reason for the divorce or the reason for the years of silence or the reason for the sexual uh, abstaining or the, the end of the friendship or the, all these types of things, it may be that the real issue is your desires are not being met and that's causing death to a relationship 
that you say you care deeply about. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Greek mythology, the story of King Midas, um, even the break place, the Midas touch. You ever heard that? In Greek mythology, King Midas had a desire. His desire is that everything he touched would turn to gold. He was granted that desire of his heart, and do you know what happened? It began to destroy everything around him because he would go to eat, and when he would touch the food, what would happen? It turned to gold. And in one part of the story, he, he wants to go show his daughter something, and he grabs her by the arm to take her, and she turns to gold. And all of a sudden, King Midas realizes that the desire he so desperately wanted is killing his life. It's destroying everything around him. And James is saying, if you don't get an understanding on the desire of your heart, it can lead to death relationally. So the first question is, what is it that you really want? Because I'm convinced that what's going to get in the way of this, what's going to get in the way of this and get you off on the wrong target is you living your life for your own desires and, and the sin that bubbles up in our family context. So what is it that you really want? But then James takes this deeper. Now, come in here for just a moment. As I studied this text, I was like, wow. I had never seen this connection before. And it, if you'll get this, listen closely, it can set you free in having an understanding of the conflict in your life. Notice what James does in verse 4. He, he shifts to a spiritual dynamic. Why? Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. How's that for politically correct? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I thought, now why? Why does James do that? Why does he go from the relational conflict to the spiritual conflict with God? This, this friendship with the world, what, what, what does that mean? And I thought, well, first, are you tracking with me here? First, New Testament language of spiritual adultery is Old Testament language of idolatry. I knew that much. I mean, in other words, in the Old Testament, God entered into covenant with Israel, and what did he say? You shall have no other gods before me. I'm it. But what would Israel do? They would go off and they would love and serve other gods. That was a form of spiritual adultery known as idolatry. So that was one key here. And then this idea of friendship. And James here isn't talking about, you know, me and the world, we're buddies. You know, we go to Starbucks together. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about relationship. Like, let, me, let me illustrate it this way. Husbands, if you on your honeymoon turned to your wife and you said, oh, I meant to tell you that there's a lady that we've been friends ever since high school. Now, we're just friends, okay? But we talk every night on the phone. We go out to eat a couple of days a week, and we take long walks in the park. And I'd love, it's just a friendship. And I'd like to keep that friendship going. Your response would not be, oh, it's just a friendship. Okay. No. His nose would look differently 
after that conversation. Because that friendship is pointing to an ongoing relationship that is in competition with a greater relationship. And so as I thought about those two things, I thought, aha, what James is saying is this. If at the core of your conflict is your desire, then at the core of your desire is your idol. You're raging because you have a desire that's not being met. What's at the core of that? You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It means this. There's something going on in your heart that you're loving more than you love God. Or, let me say it this way, all eyes right here. You're expecting the people in your family to do for you what only God can do for you. And in that sense, your marriage, your children, your parents have become an idol. And that idol, that small g God is not functioning the way it's supposed to function. The marriage isn't going the way it's supposed to. Our children aren't going the way they're supposed to. Our parents didn't fulfill what we thought they'd fulfill. That idol isn't fulfilling us. Therefore, our desires are not met. Therefore, we rage. And James is saying, how about you ask and yet you do not receive or you don't even ask? How about you ask God for the needs of your heart rather than expecting people to satisfy your heart? Now, time out. It doesn't mean that family's not good. It doesn't mean that family doesn't bring joy. Of course it does. But it does mean if you're expecting your parents to do for you what only God can do for you, they are functionally God's. And can I just speak for every parent in the room? We don't make very good gods. Is that anybody with me? Like, that's just like, oh, yes. 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 <laughs> Confession time. It's like, l l listen to what um, David Powelson says, Christian counselor, kind of helps summarize all this up. James does not say that your fighting is because the other person is a blockhead, though that may be true, or because your hormones are raging, or because a demon of anger took up residence, or because humans have an aggression gene hardwired by our evolutionary history. Or because your father used to react that way. Instead, what James is saying is you fight because your desires battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. And then listen to what he says here. This is good. It does take two to tango. So why are you in the dance? Our cravings rule our lives. They directly compete with God himself for lordship. Where you find quarrels and fights, you're witnessing people obeying the desires of a different Lord. That's powerful. That's what James is saying. Which means, again, I'm not excusing other people's behavior. I'm not justifying hurt 
that's been done to you? What I am saying is before I deal with that, I've got to first deal with this. Because there's a whole lot more going on here than there is out here. And it's not only that a desire is not being met, though that's true, it's actually deeper that there's a God in my life being threatened. So, let me say it this way, Berean. God did not, this is to the parents, God did not give you children to be trophies, to reflect your glory. Marriages, God didn't give you a spouse to meet all your needs. All of you in family, God didn't give you a family to make you fulfilled. Because if, if they could do all that, you wouldn't need God. So go to Him for the desires of your heart so that your family won't crumble under the pressure. Now this helps give insight to why Jesus says something in the Gospel of Luke that if you've ever read it before, you've probably said, that Jesus said what? What is He talking about? You know, Jesus sometimes just says some weird things. Listen to this one. Here's Luke 14. 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. But I thought Jesus was pro-family. Does Jesus really want me to hate my parents? That would have been an awful Mother's Day sermon last week, you know? <laughs> Honor your mother by hating her, you know? No, weird. doesn't make sense. Jesus goes on to say, anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? I'll tell you what Jesus is saying here. If you're really going to follow me, you have to sever all ultimate loyalties in your life. In other words, you can't love me and love others in your life equally to or more than me and be my disciple. And in that sense, it's as though you hate your parents, not that you actually functionally hate your parents, but that all loyalty, all devotion before it is to family is to Christ. C.S. Lewis, I think, explains this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. C.S. Lewis says this. Now listen, this is good. He says, when I have learned to love God more than my earthly relationships, I will love my earthly relationships better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly relationships at the expense of God or instead of God, I shall not love my earthly relationships at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. Now, does that help make sense out of James 4? You see, you don't start with friendship or loyalty with others. You start with love for God. And by the way, the Bible says that God yearns for that love. He has a righteous jealousy. God loves you so incredibly much. He wants all your love to Him. And that's actually where you're going to find your peace anyways when you love Him with all your heart.
Well, what's the solution? Because at this point we've said, okay, the root cause is sin, and then that's even a whole spiritual dynamic of, of what's the idol of my heart. If we ended there, I'd be depressed. Would you? I mean, you'd be like, okay, I'm a terrible sinner. I'm a terrible dad. I'm, I'm an awful husband, whatever. Okay. Look at what James says in verse 6. And let me have you leave today with great news for you. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. I'll just stop there. Look at me. There is grace for you. There is grace for you. I don't care how bad your conflict is. I don't care how deep the hurt in your family I don't care how many times you've missed the mark. God is ready to meet you right now at the point of grace and to shower that upon you. This message isn't to get you to be depressed. It's to set you free. It's to find yourselves in the deep end of the pool of God's grace. But to get there, you have to be driven to humility. You don't just start with, hey, it's really not that big a deal. Hey, it's really their fault. And wrap it in some type of therapeutic jargon. It's you have a heart problem. But God's grace is bigger than your problem. And he's ready to pour it out on you if you will humble yourself and be honest about your heart. Isn't that what James says? Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. That is repentance. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, dad, wife, teenager. Humble yourself and he'll exalt you. Do you want to go up in your family? Get low. Do you want to be restored in your family? Be broken. It's the only way it works. God offers reconciliation. God offers reconciling grace to your family this morning. Are you hearing me? Like right now, He is ready to offer that, but it comes through the brokenness of repentance. Some of you remember Pete Rose. Some of you are trying to forget Pete Rose. Um, Pete Rose was caught gambling on baseball as a manager. And when he finally came public with, with this, here's his apology. I'm sure I'm supposed to act all sorry or sad or guilty now that I've accepted that I've done something wrong, but you see, I'm not built that way. So let's leave it like this. I'm sorry that it happened. I'm sorry for all the people, fans, and family it hurt, but let's just move on. That is not repentance. That is not repentance. And that's not the kind of kind of fake repentance that we need in our families. 
okay, I admit it, now let's just kind of ignore it. No, it's deal with it because listen, listen, only when you're willing to look outside yourself and to sacrifice your desires can you begin to cross the bridge of reconciliation. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. Here's why I know that's true right here. Do you know why I know that the only way family conflict can be restored and repaired, regardless of how big it is, is through beginning to sacrifice your own desires? It's because that's the core of the gospel. What's the greatest relational conflict that's ever existed? And no, it's not the one between you and your husband or the, the one between you and your children. That's not the greatest relational conflict that's ever existed. The greatest relational conflict that's ever existed was the relational conflict between you and God. How was that solved? I'll tell you how it was solved. Jesus gave up his own desires. Not my will, yours. Jesus resisted the devil you remember in the temptation account when Satan offered him all these kingdoms, stones into bread. Look, you could have live for you, man. And Jesus says, I rebuke you. He resisted the devil. And do you know what he did? He humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. In other words, what did Jesus do to reconcile you? James 4. And if that act of self-sacrifice reconciled God and man, how much more your marriage? How much more you with your kids? How much more that brother or sister that lives in another state that you haven't spoken to in years? Only the Gospel, only Christ can help us reconcile these things as we humble ourselves before Him. So, you in conflict? If not, cheer up, you will be. Just wait till you get home. And when that happens... Stop before you say, but you, and ask yourself, what's going on in here? What is the desire I really want? What is the God I'm really serving? Deal with the heart, because that truly is the heart of the problem. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word, even though uh, it convicts. Deeply, it convicts. But it's good. It's freeing it, because only in honesty and grace do we find hope. And uh, I just pray now for those in this room and all of our family situations. Help us see them now in light of Your Word, not what our culture tells us or uh, our own sinful desires would lead us to think, but help us see through Your eyes and may this morning we find ourselves on our knees, broken, overwhelmed by grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.